BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. On today's episode, we talk about the career of Lil Wayne, who started rapping at the age of nine, just like George, and became one of the world's biggest pop stars at 25, just like me. Yeah, John Karamanica of the New York Times called The Carter one of the most revealing and provocative hip-hop films of all time. He says, It's a little like watching Nero fiddle just before Rome begins to burn. Hi, I'm Pac Romaine. And I'm George Chen. Welcome to SubDoc, a show where we ask musicians, comedians, and filmmakers to handpick their favorite documentaries. Today we're going to be talking about The Carter, at first authorized, then very unauthorized, 2009 documentary about Lil Wayne. Our guest is musician scholar William Hudson of the noise hip-hop group Clipping, and one of the composers of the soundtrack to another great doc, Room 237. So welcome to the living room, Bill Hudson. Welcome. Hi, thank you. Bill or William, did we solve that? Uh, when you write it down, it's William, but if you call me out loud, it's, it's Bill. Bill. Yeah, generally. Like, does anyone call you other than, like, your mom? Does your mom call you William? No. She does not call no me one William. Calls no one calls me William. I'm yeah. just trying to make that, like, officially on paper, my right. name. Because it sounds... Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. of it like Bobby De Niro. You know, everyone calls him Bobby, but then... Yeah. yeah. When you were writing, like, for The Wire, was it Bill? It's or? William. Oh, it's a William in there, too, yeah. It's so, always William. Yeah, I guess they, I, since I've never met anyone else who writes for The Wire, they all call me William, I guess. Dr. <laughs> William. Is it yes. now? Yeah, profes- professionally. I, I did, not that kind of a doctor, but yeah. yeah. But still, they put the DR there. Uh, you, yeah, they uh, could. <laughs> <laughs> I don't intend to. That's pretty cool. But yeah, though. they could. So, uh, for your listeners, Thank you. uh, Bill is on the show because he is a musician uh, and contributed to. Uh, the soundtrack, composed soundtrack and score stuff for Room 237 and The Nightmare. Yeah. And is also in the band Clipping and right. does a lot of his own solo music projects and, you know, noise label stuff. And, and you just and got I like pitch, documentaries. And I you like documentaries. <laughs> and you've listened to the show. And uh, so you just turned in your dissertation. That's right. And uh, performance studies... I've talked to you about this. I don't really understand it. I know one other person doing a PhD in performance studies, and it seems like it could be kind of whatever you decide. Yeah. I mean, you know, among my colleagues, like, you know, it's in a theater department. It's what used to be something like a theater history PhD, but each of us works on something totally different. Nobody really works on plays anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. in my department, it's like someone who works on, uh, like, LARPing. Uh, as performance. <laughs> um, uh, a friend of mine worked on um, Dykes on Bikes as performance of, you know, uh, as a type of performativity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you, yeah. So do you LARP? Lo- I do not LARP. I have never LARPed. That'd be cool, though. How about you, George? you ever LARP? I've n- well, no. No, I've not LARPed. I'm trying to think what the closest would be. Like, Halloween costumes do not count as LARPing. Oh, LARPing right. is but what like- about tabletop games? Did you ever do, like, oh, no, D&D? I never did any of that stuff, no. Does that count as LARPing? No, but that yeah, LARPing yeah. is just standing up and doing it in a costume. <laughs> right. No, I never did that. Uh, the cl- like, thinking of, like, whatever movie, it's some Mel 
Brooks movie where people are playing human chess, like jump the queen. Oh yeah. Jump, oh yeah. Jump is that the history pawn. of the world. History, history of the world. world. Yeah. I think of that as like the first blur thing. Maybe. Yeah. The Inquisition. <laughs> but um, oh, I had a Brian game. Miller organized a, a game of um, I played uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles tabletop role playing game with him once. It was pretty fun. Oh man. I was a mutant parakeet, I think. Uh, that's that's it was pretty ridiculous. Oh, like one of the bad guys, kind of like. Uh, well, you don't play as the turtles; it's right. just the turtles' world. Oh. So you roll for what species you're mutated between human, and then you roll for how mutant you are between a human and a parakeet. So I remember I was like I was like almost fully a parakeet, uh-huh. but I rolled really high on like physical attraction. So I was like a really sexy parakeet, sexy parakeet <laughs> with a minimal anthropomorphism with a whole, that barely looked human. <laughs> Just barely. I did just see that goddamn new Michael Bay Ninja Turtles. Just it was on oh, God. streaming, and I was just like, I didn't finish it. Just I had to stop at some point. Yeah, I was like, this is this is barely a thing. Um, I had a fucking good question. That I forgot about <laughs> Brian Miller, another mutual friend of ours, who's a music guy, who also. Was he doing it? He put out early clipping records or put out a he, cassette? Or? Yeah, he did. He, I yeah. guess he did. Um, yeah, he sort of did free PR for us for a long time, so we owe him mm-hmm. a lot. Uh, he just liked us and, we, and just offered to you know, write emails to everyone he knew about us. And That's now cool. is sort of functioning as a backing band slash manager for another guy. Right, uh, Senor Benedict. I or I don't know. Yes, he's yeah. in the videos. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Brian's involved in what Christian's up to. I'm not sure what their official relationship is. Yeah, yeah, Christian. Christian's a guy who like he hit clipping up on Twitter and was like, "Hey, listen to our music." And we never follow up with that yeah. ever. I'd never click on those links. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, like months later, Brian was like, "Oh yeah, so I'm working with that guy who tweeted at you." We were like. Which one? He's like, you don't listen to those? I was like, apparently Brian listens <laughs> Brian to everyone listens who tweets to at us. Who but we were like, who? And then he played it for us, and we were like, holy shit, this yeah. kid's amazing. It's pretty great. Um, and then he moved to L.A., and like we took him on tour oh, and stuff. Oh, he's not even an L.A. guy. No, no, he's from like Sacramento. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Sacktown. Yeah. So, uh, Clipping is just, uh, you put out an album last year, right? Yeah. And then... Um, last June, June of 2014. Doing a bunch of touring in like Europe stuff. A lot of touring. And then, but the singer or the the main the rapper is mm-hmm. also in this play that's on Broadway, right? Yeah, he's yeah. he's he plays Thomas Jefferson in uh, a musical called Hamilton, oh. uh, which it's been getting a lot of write ups. I saw yeah, some write up, yeah, and it's, I it's a pretty big deal. Yeah, it's yeah. strange. Yeah, well, that album actually just came out on Friday. The cast album of oh, that the cast album. produced by the Roots. Oh, okay, wow. <laughs> Why don't you, if you can? Bill, take yes. a moment and describe clipping to those people who may be listening who aren't familiar. Oh, uh, okay. So clipping, I make uh, actually Jonathan and I make beats uh, for a rapper, um, and it's like sort of um, vaguely experimental hip hop, like weird sounds, music concrete type beats um, with like aggressive uh, rapping that is never in the first person. That's all just sort of imagistic, weird. Um, hmm. He's not allowed to say I. Mm-hmm. By his own parameters set upon himself? Uh, that was actually my rule when he oh. agreed to join. But he's, and it took, it takes a lot of work. I think that's probably the most common word in any rap song. I. I, there's almost no rap songs that aren't like maybe story raps by like Slick Rick or something that right. don't have any first person. It's and, very rare. And that was, and nobody your... notices that about our music. It like goes, no, like, 
almost zero reviews mentioned that. That's so cool. That's your stipulation, and you were just like, you want to keep it uh, a well, little we had bit a, more we removed? Having, yeah, we were just having conversations about what, because we wanted it to be, I mean, because it's such aggressive music, we wanted it to sound hard, but at the same time, none of us are really hard, and it, we didn't want to lie. Mm. So it just becomes like stories that, you know, aren't necessarily, you know, David's not a gangster, but, you know, he grew up around them and knows about, you know, he can do the stories, mm-hmm. like... Um, but he can't, you know, it's like Drake claiming to sell a brick or whatever. Yeah. You Canadian child (laughs) star. (laughs) It's more like, yeah. Like, so it's almost like, yeah, you're doing like, it's like, I think of it like pulp, like pulp novels or like, uh, you know. Yeah. It's all very, I mean, and, and all of the stories, there's a lot of like sort of weird interconnectivity that only we know about, like Mm -hmm. characters from stories reappearing, but you know. We've we've only got a couple. I you know this is actually related to Room Two Thirty Seven. We do have a couple of kids who have written like long blog posts trying to connect all of our songs and who what characters reappear and stuff. Um, That's cool. And we encourage that. Yes. Uh, we we do bury like weird things all over. I think maybe Room Two Thirty Seven is like warped yeah. mine and Jonathan's brains to the point where we like. Like there's like Easter eggs. Yeah, there's yeah. like Morse code messages in the hi hats and shit like really? that. Yeah, it's like really absurd. So you do LARP. <laughs> <What's> <laughs> <that's> <laughs> actually, we it's, figured out clipping the LARPing. It's band. MARPing with it's music, music action. Lar- music R- LARPing. Yeah. This is for the quarter water, penny candy, poor ventilation Broken freezer, broken freezing with a heater in the rain Came from the slime at the bottom of the land before time From the chalk dust falling out the pocket The time James died on good times The time lasts till the sun rise on the Arctic Shit, from the vomit of the bile with no solid human feces by the Working on two thirty seven, does that predate clipping at all, or is it? Uh, no, actually, <laughs> that's funny. Part of our um, agreement to do because okay, so the way we got offered room two thirty seven was Rodney. We didn't know, but he got Jonathan Rodney got Asher, yeah. Rodney Asher, the director of room two thirty seven, um, was recommended uh, that he contact Jonathan Snipes, uh, who is a real film composer. He just lets me like work with him on the fun ones that I want to be a part of, basically. Um, and the reason we... Yeah. So he, he contacted Jonathan to do Room 237 and said, there's no money and it's coming out probably on YouTube because all of the footage is stolen. <laughs> and funny. so Jonathan said no and then he sent along a clip and then Jonathan and I watched it, and we were like, we have to do this. <laughs> uh, I mean, The Shining is like my favorite movie, yeah. and I've seen it more than any other movie, so it's like, oh, we're, we're being a part of this. And it doesn't matter. We're doing it for nothing. We put our own money into like hiring our friend musicians and like renting. Right, right. So we just like, we had to do that. Um, but part of our deal with Rodney that never, that we sort of gave up on was he was going to, as payment, direct a clipping video. Uh, mm. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so for those people who are that. listening that don't know Room Two Thirty Seven, yeah, it's a documentary film by Rodney Asher about like the hidden meanings in The Shining, uh, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, and it is 
so fascinating. It's almost like I watched it by myself and at night and I was scared, like more almost as scared as I was when I was a kid and I saw The Shining for the first time. It's as, as scary. Yeah, you have to. Well, I mean, the thing about it is you do have to just look at The Shining for the whole movie. I mean, it just like shows you The Shining in slow motion over yeah. and over again. So it's like if you were scared by that movie, that stuff's all still in. in it's all in there. And all other other Kubrick film stuff gets pulled in, and other just other videos that are used for examples. Of yeah, yeah. people's it's yeah. So so the film is basically it follows five interview subjects who have devoted all of their spare time to writing on the internet their theories about what The Shining really means, and Rodney just gives them, just lets them go talk. Yeah, and they're never uh, on camera. I noticed they're never on camera. Yeah. That I mean, I think it. I don't know what Rodney's official answer to mm-hmm. why that is. I mean, the practical reason was he was mailing them his Zoom oh. and then interviewing them okay. over Skype. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Um, because there's no footage. He didn't shoot any original footage, I don't think. Oh, there's, for the interviews themselves. There's animation. There's, for any, oh, part, for of any the film. part of it. Oh, yeah. Uh, there are a couple of original animations, animations yeah. um, that show up. Mm-hmm. Like when they like like diagram the the, the maps, the layout, yeah. The right. woman, the, the uh, yeah. Well, I can't remember her name. The woman interview subject. Mm-hmm. She uh, she got really into trying to map the Overlook Hotel. Um, mm. so that he he animates her maps. Right. So when you did he have a complete cut, and then he sent you the complete cut, and it's just like I need sound for this, and uh, or was it how, how did the process? He work? sent us well. He first sent us like two fifteen minute segments. Mm-hmm. Um. Rodney teaches uh, editing some at some school, and he's so this is, you know, and he's such a fascinating guy. He was just became obsessed with these people who were writing about The Shining, and just started editing stuff together. And he's so damn good at like, I, I laugh so hard at so many of the moments in Room Two Thirty Seven there where there's like a a funny other film being used yeah. to illustrate something like. There's that the there's eyes wide shut stuff. Is the funny, eyes wide yeah. shut stuff is really funny. There's a great shot about uh, when Jay Widener is talking about all of the things Kubrick changed from Stephen King's novel that oh, drove yeah. Stephen King crazy. Like, right. the there's this Volkswagen. amazing shot yeah. of Stephen King looking insane from Creepshow. Yeah, right. yeah, that's from Creepshow. Yeah, yeah, he was pretty pissed off about that. Yeah, he uh, he he hates it. Did Rodney give you directions, or was it more like you guys took it on yourself to be like, we're gonna kind of go for this like synth, like he'd, John Carpenter? He'd tempt it with uh-huh. with um, Goblin and Goblin. Carpenter, mm-hmm. and you know Stelvio Cipriani, or like you know the Phantasm score, all that kind of like late seventies, early eighties synth stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Jonathan and I were like, oh yeah, we, I think that's why it got sent to Jonathan in the first place was who when he was asking people. Uh-huh who, this is what my temp is, they all went, oh, yeah, Jonathan Snipes, he'll do that. Oh, mm. really, yeah. So uh, they, they didn't really know each other. It was just totally referral mm-hmm. to him, mm-hmm. yeah. And you, you your, your composing partner's Jonathan. Yeah, and in, in clipping and on the films. In clipping and in your composition on yeah. the films. And so... Uh, and you he were, does tons of films on his own, too. He does. I only, I, yeah, I generally, I've only ever worked with him on movies. Yeah, gotcha. Um, and so I watched your YouTube video of the making of the music of Room 237. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you guys used, did you use period instruments? Some period instruments? Some, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's like a... From what, from the same year that The Shining was filmed? Like the synthesizers? Largely. I mean, not not on purpose. They oh, were just what we have. I, I mean, it, it, it was on purpose to use mostly analog synthesizers. 
uh, just because that's what we have and that's what the sort of sound we were going for. But I don't think we were very, we definitely, use, I'm sure we used some that came out after The Shining, but uh, several that came before. We definitely, we borrowed a friend's um, Yamaha CS50, which is uh, sort of this giant tank. And a lot of a lot of the sounds on the film were that. Um, it's like, uh, it's the synth. precursor to the synth that uh, Vangelis uses in um, for the whole Blade Runner score. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's stuff cool. like that, yeah. So yeah, you saw the if you see the video, you see that sort of wall of synthesizers in yeah. Jonathan's house. Oh, that was at his house. That's yeah, that's the basement. That's the where we make all of our music. Oh, nice. So when he sent you the first fifteen minute clip, it's just like the interview, and then there's not really any other like uh, natural sound, right? Because everything it's either clips from the movies. Yeah, it's just voice. That, yeah. Those guys' voices. Mm-hmm. And so when you when he first sent you the raw footage, it's just the interviews. There's no and maybe some of the sound from The Shining, but there's no like diegetic sound or anything else happening. No, the they clips. they they later did uh, a sound pass after the film. So the film, we thought the film was coming out on YouTube. We thought there was no way any of this was ever going to be legally allowed to come out. <laughs> right. Um, and so we we made it for nothing. Um, there were maybe like you know seven people involved until it got accepted at Sundance. And then uh, IFC um, offered to distribute it. And what they did, what IFC cleverly did was they said, we're not going to ask Warner Brothers copyright department. We're going to ask Warner Brothers uh, marketing department and say, look, we made a hour and a half long advertisement for The Shining. Oh, right. nice. That's uh, a good Instead idea. of, hey, we want to steal all this footage from The Shining. Right. Yeah, like, it'll just get people to watch The Shining. Well, it was. And when it, yeah, came, and when it came out on iTunes, it was the number one uh, horror film that week, and the number two horror film was The Shining. So it was right. like, it boosted The Shining. Right on. Um, That's, I remember, like, everybody started talking about, have you seen Room 237? You've seen it. Well, because it got di- distribution, yeah. which, like, uh, for a movie like that is insane. Yeah. And when you yeah. think about it, like, like it's just like, the I think in the beginning, just like the estate of Stanley Kubrick has no opinion on this at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Well, what's great is we uh, we did we went um, to a uh, film fest um, in like 2013, the Stanley Film Fest, which is at the Stanley Hotel, which is where uh, Stephen King wrote The Shining. It's about that haunted hotel in Estes Park, Colorado, and they have a horror fest. And so the first year oh, of it, cool. they invited us, and they did this panel that was amazing. That was um, it was called The Secrets of the Shining, and it was Rodney in the, in, in the middle, in between Leon Vitale, who is Stanley Kubrick's best friend, assistant director, and he played Lord Bullington in, in um, Barry Lyndon, and the, uh, the leader of that cult. He plays the one in the red cloak in um, Eyes Wide Shut. And then uh, one of the guys from Room 237, Jay Widener, the one who thinks Kubrick faked the moon landing. Right, the moon landing. And guy. then <laughs> Mick Garris who uh, directed all of those uh, TV miniseries of all of the uh, Stephen King movies. So oh. he did the TV oh, miniseries, like The Shining. And, yeah. and yeah, he did like... Oh, the Stephen Weber one, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did all that stuff, and he's in charge of those Masters of Horror movies, uh, those Masters of Horror shows. Yeah, Mick Garris. And so it was Mick Garris basically standing in as Stephen King's good buddy, Leon standing in as Stanley's Stanley Kubrick's good buddy, Rodney in the middle, and then Jay Widener claiming everyone faked the moon landing. It was bananas. <laughs> because like Leon, Leon and Mick were like sniping at each other about which one's better, the book or the movie. And, and Mick, <laughs> Mick kept being like, uh, guys, I'm the one who made the version of The Shining that really is the book, The Shining. And Leon would be like, ah, who cares? It sucks. It's a dumb book. Stanley's a genius. Wow, <laughs> it was that's so pretty fun. cool. Um, it's still, it's, I, I find it just 
still mind-boggling that people think that the moon landing was faked and that Stanley Kubrick was behind it. Do you guys, either of you guys feel that way? You do a little I bit? I don't, not at oh, all. Okay. I, not I, at all, but I think I, I am, I will always indulge like a wacky idea <laughs> sure. like that. I, oh, man. I mean, because when we went to this festival and hung out with Jay Widener, that mm-hmm. guy, yeah. like we had flown into the Denver International Airport and then drove up to Estes Park and the Denver, Denver Airport, there's all of this amazing conspiracy theory stuff about it, about how it's built over these bunkers that the New World Order and the reptoids are going to live in when they gas the planet to die back the population. Sweet. Um, and that it's got all these crazy, you got to look it up, it's got all these crazy murals about like what, what they're going to do, they're going to kill everyone off. It's got like these weird like poison, like gas masked stormtroopers like massacring in people. In the mural in at the, the murals Denver? At the airport, yeah. And the airport, like when you, when you pull up, there's this like 60 foot tall um, blue bucking horse that they think they, they, everyone calls the pale horse of the apocalypse and it's got these bright glowing red eyes and this like giant horse dick and like you could and it's it's horse asshole is like really really <laughs> d- detailed and it's got like bulging veins all over its this neck. is like the nightmare it's freaking yeah. terrifying yeah. uh and it's like at the airport at that's the like airport inside? as you drive it you can't not pass it to wow. get to the airport and it's and it killed the sculptor like it fell on the sculptor oh. right as it was finished and it killed him. What? People are... Uh, they, yeah, so anyway. <laughs> what? Jay was like, oh, you flew into the DIA, like the Denver International Airport. And he was like, you should check out some... And so I just got... I What w- terminal? What airline? <laughs> I, I don't know. It must be domestic, what, right? It's, it's one of the biggest are, yeah. um, airports in the U.S. It's massive. Right. Uh, it's probably a hub because of where they look. It's a huge it, hub. Yeah. Um, and they built it new... Uh, the, the, basically, it's a giant amalgam of terrible choices that are just, <laughs> it's just bureaucracy. <laughs> it's not actually evil. It's just like bad design and bureaucracy and uh-huh. compromises everywhere. But I can see how you can wander around and be like, this is yeah. Satan. This yeah, is yeah. hell. This is some demon made this place. But really, it's just like badly laid right. out. Right. Kind of like O'Hare has those horrible Blues Brothers statues all over the place. <laughs> kind of the same feel. Right, right. But and this one has we... the Egyptian god of death. Uh, <laughs> the exit has a has an equally tall Egyptian god of death um, wow. standing on the ground. That's crazy. And then, um, I fly into yeah, the nuts. Denver airport a couple times a year. I should go check that out. I've never noticed. If you look down from the sky, the runways are a, are a swastika. Oh wow! Is that true? <laughs> yeah. What is going on in Denver? <laughs> so Jesus. you got you guys got invited to that because of Room 237 being out at that point? Yeah, well, because... What year was that I, then? It was two thir- 2013. Okay. And it had, the film had come out maybe... 2012. Yeah, or end of 2012. So, and this was the first year of the Stanley Fest. And they wanted to show Room 237. And since basically nobody worked on the film... Uh, there was nobody to bring out, so they and were like, Rodney "Well, let's bring Rodney oh. and the two composers." Because of the seven people that were involved well, in the, this, yeah. like the comp, the music, the scoring's great. In Thank that. you. I mean, that's I can see why they'd want you guys involved because it's really good. I mean, it really sets the pace for that doc. Is the mu- the music? Yeah, we did a um, we did a we got to do a uh, a panel at that fest called like called like composing for horror films or something mm. like that with like a couple real. Horror, like uh, Nathan Barr, who does the um, Eli Roth movies, he actually okay. scores those. Really interesting music, um, like kind of impressive for how like sleazy and terrible those movies are. He's got mm-hmm. like eighty piece orchestras, and it's really sort of romantic and mm-hmm. lush. Um, 
But it, I felt so, like such a fraud. We were, I was super hungover because it was like the, mor- the last morning of the thing after the big party. And, uh, Did you I drink like, in that ballroom? You get to drink in the ballroom. Yeah. Oh, yeah. where the where the with goat, Leon where Vitt- Okay, so so we did a Q and A. We did a Q and A right after one of the screenings of the movies, and it was like at eight o'clock at night. And Leon did the Q, jumped up to do the Q and A with us. Like, who's you know? Imagine, like, Keith Richards is less grumpy. Like, mm-hmm. just like the coolest guy. And he and I like at this Q and A got in a big fight about what font. Stanley Kubrick used to set the titles in The Shining in. That's a good fight to get into. Uh, it's obviously it, Verdania. <laughs> it is Helvetica. Yeah. Rounded. But the point was, is he, never mind. Stanley always used Futura, except for in The Shining. And Leon did not. Anyway, didn't matter. We got the fight. I don't need to rehash the fight. This is for a font podcast yeah. we're going to do later. Which Helvetica is a great documentary. Oh, that is a good documentary. Yeah. Oh, I, I, yeah, I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. They, One I, of our recs. Let's recommend that. Helvetica. There we go. Check it out. Um, but yeah, so then the festival organizer was like, oh, that was great. Can you get Leon back to his hotel, uh, his, his hotel room? He's got to fly out in the morning and you, uh, you I put him that. to bed at like five thirty in the morning. He ended up missing his flight the next day. <laughs> I put him to bed at like five thirty in the yeah. morning. He just kept buying me absinthe shots. There was this Whoa. giant party. There was a giant eyes wide shut themed party and I was and nice. nobody knew who the weird old guy was that I was like dragging <laughs> around but I was like he fucking he ran this cult yeah he was the guy in <laughs> the mask yeah, right? yeah. Like, yeah. His, and he yeah he kept buying me absinthe and we like, He's like did karaoke l- and split a pot brownie it was like a <laughs> fucking insane night <laughs> it is like partying with Keith Richards yeah well, it was he, really fun and he's kind of like the second director like the lieutenant kind of he was yeah, his, yeah. Uh, yeah so he was in um, Barry Lyndon he plays Lord Bullington in that um, and then after that, he and Stanley Kubrick, I guess, were just really close friends. So he did all the location scouting for The Shining, oh, and he wow. did. He was on. He was there every day of this uh, of shooting, and he did all. Uh, he cast the kid, right, mm. to play Danny. Uh, Danny. Danny Lloyd, yeah, that actor. He ki- he cast that kid, and f- he found him. Watched auditions of like two thousand little boys yeah. found that kid and was basically Danny Lloyd's handler oh, wow. um, for the movie. So any pictures from like behind the scenes, Leon's with that little boy. Right, right. They After mean, watching Room Two Thirty Seven, I was like, "What happened to that kid?" Because oh, he's yeah. really good in that film. And I looked him up and on online, and he quit ac- acting. Yeah, yeah. He was like, "You know what? Fuck this." He didn't have a Linda Blair career or anything. No. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. He was just like, "Nah, <laughs> this is enough for me." Once you get to act with Scatman Crothers, I think that's your pinnacle. Yeah. Wait. So is this the never same... going to make a better movie than The Shining? No. Is it is it the same hotel that is used for the exterior, or it's this hotel no, the that Stanley... Stephen King? Okay, from. so Stanley. Yeah. The, uh, okay, so Stephen King stayed a night in the Stanley Hotel and had like some terrible nightmare and stayed up all night smoking cigarettes out the window of his room mm-hmm. and wrote, uh, and wrote The Shining about that hotel. Right. Stanley Kubrick, who wouldn't fly and didn't come to the U.S., sent Leon to take pictures of the Stanley. Decided he think he hated it. He did not like the look of it, so he sent him. So what you see in the movie The Shining is not. The Stanley Hotel at all. It's That's a set. the. It's a set they built um, in England. Okay, so all. But I didn't realize he never did it in the U.S. Okay. He did not. Well, mm-hmm. I, he might have come before that, yeah, yeah. probably, but not for The Shining. He uh-huh. did not travel. He basically a- after, I think after Barry Lyndon, maybe earlier even, Stanley Kubrick basically never shot a movie that wasn't walking distance from his house. Okay. 
That's my man right which there. Which is why which is why Full Metal Jacket looks like it takes place in England and not uh, Vietnam. Right, right. Yeah, there's like bobbies. <laughs> it just like doesn't look like okay. Vietnam at all. Uh, it's fine though. But the exterior uh the, for the overlook, what hotel is that? It's the um That's the Timberline. Right? No, it's in uh Oregon. Oregon. It's called the Timberline. Yeah. Uh so it's a lot of there's a bunch of like weird uh the gold ballroom is is based on the gold ballroom in the Alani Hotel in uh, Yosemite. The uh, that blood red men's room where where Jack uh, yeah. goes in with Grady. That's a Frank Lloyd Wright bathroom somewhere somewhere near Yosemite. I think it's in a hotel. Um, oh, yeah, wow. so there's like all of those things are like um, West Coast arts and craft architecture that he. So, like in the movie, when people are trying to break down the geography of the hotel, it's because it's a set. You're not gonna. It's make because it's it, totally it's not modular. Make sense, and they yeah. move. They move things around all the yeah. time. So when they're saying, you know, when they're pointing out the that, carpet like, pattern, yeah, it's it's because the whole thing was modular, and yeah. they would move it every day for like what scene uh, they were doing. I like that the documentary doesn't mention that. Right? It, uh, maybe it, uh, yeah. I don't think it does. I don't think it goes to that depth. I like that they keep it kind of up to your imagination. Yeah. They talk about how like there's an exterior shot of the hotel where at one point you see this peak and yeah. then later it looks it's, like it's just collapsed but it's cuz it's all sets. It's know? all sets. Yeah. yeah, and the fact that you can go you can enter the kitchen of the of the overlook by like five different ways so that you see them from five different places walk in and then they cut to them walking into the same door in the kitchen like right. many times in the movie. Right, and there's got to be when they do the camera pass between like halls where there shouldn't be yeah. where there's there's you know, it should be like it's it's like a phantom wall or whatever. Right. Well, and they mentioned the too. guy's office that shouldn't have a have the window. Yes, window yes, yes. The supernatural light. The yeah. window. <laughs> the window in Ullman's office is right. supernatural. Yeah, what? it's like it's everything's a set. So why would it make sense? Yeah. But it's great because then, yeah, has, there's a lot of scenes where Wendy walks down the hallway that should be behind it that doesn't have that sort of ghost light. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, if you've listened to, if you actually watch the um, the DVD of Room Two Thirty Seven, that there's a commentary track by the Mastermind. Who is sort of the? Oh. He's really the the. I, I think the one of the, uh, just sort of stronger, more scholarly uh, crackpots that the film uh, addresses. I shouldn't. I'm not supposed to call them that. <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, off he, the record, he's sort of um, the mastermind. Yeah. So he's he he gets mentioned in the movie as being uh, the w- the guy who inspired some of those mm-hmm. uh, interviewees. Um, to start thinking about The Shining, and then he declined to be in the movie mm. because when Rodney told him who was else in the was movie, out. who else was in the movie, he said, I'm right about The Shining. <laughs> I don't want to be put on equal standing with yeah. those nut jobs. Wow. Uh, and so he refused to be in the movie. But then after the movie came out, Rodney was like, well, do you want to do a commentary track? And you can refute what they say. You can agree. You can do whatever oh. you want. You get like this sort of raised position over them and he does a commentary track that is equally interesting unfortunately like it doesn't sync up with any of the video and i'd rather just see video of what he's talking about because he's just off the ah right but he's super fascinating um have you met anyone who was one of those uh theorists like uh yeah well jay widener the moon Uh guy we did that we did uh um and actually he's also a filmmaker i just watched his first fiction film um uh, Rodney and Jonathan and I got together to watch his first fiction film called The Last Avatar. Mm. Uh, it's um, about, you know, Lemuria and the Archons and uh, chakras and... Ah, uh-huh. 
it's pretty fascinating. I uh, recognized I th- one of those words. Yeah, you just said. <laughs> Lemuria. <laughs> Lemuria is the Pacific uh, Atlantis. Okay, it's oh, right. the sunken city in the Pacific. Oh, okay, and Got they it. apparently all they fled that, and they live uh, deep in Mount Hood, and are all magicians. And they have a secret language. Sweet. It does it have a decent production value to capture that? No, kind it does of thing? not. Okay, that did, was did you do the absolutely soundtrack? Absolutely not. It does not have any production value. But that said, it's actually more watchable than I expected it to be. I, I would recommend it. It's pretty fascinating. The main guy, the main actor in it, mm-hmm. I looked him up on IMDb. He was the, the kid, the youngest kid in Charles in Charge. Oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah. did, have you seen any of those Source Family, uh, like uh, the Jody Willie? No, I didn't. Documentary. Yeah, I didn't see that. We talked. I remember when that was screening at Cinefamily, yeah. but I didn't go. She also is now involved in this group called Unarius. Do you know about the Unarius? Because like that all. almost sounds a lot like it does. Unarius, yeah. which was uh, a sort of a hippie cult, but it started in the fifties in LA at, about Space Brothers. Like they have uh, their their uh, there's like a benevolent spaceship society, and they're just waiting for Earth to get up to speed to join them. Hmm. And uh, they also had their own cable access show. Not and oh man, so there's tons of footage, tons oh, of footage yeah. of them doing like their thing, which Sweet. it sounds a That's lot. That's great. It sounds like Scientology because it's all about like past life regression mm-hmm. and like reenacting these traumas. Yeah. But they made their own. Uh, what is the name of the 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 visitor, or what is the name of the movie that we? Oh, saw? Uh, um, we're blanking on it, but we did a whole episode with her where we talked about this um, thing that showed at SF International Film Festival. They they got a guy who had worked on special effects on Star Wars, and this is like yeah. maybe seventy eight. And uh, they do you know do, which guy? I don't remember the name of the guy. It was not Al Miller or Grant McCune. Well, I know is that Brian Brian's Miller's dad? dad? Yeah. yeah. Was it the arrival? It was him. The arrival. That's what the it arrival. was. Yeah. So, the visitor is uh, that bonkers like. Uh, yeah, I don't know the uh, alien movie from. Uh, oh man, it's so good. But yeah, no, uh, the arrival. It's worth checking out just for with the backstory yeah, in mind. It's... Like decent special effects in some areas, right, like a great like uh, visual, like it looks like Xanadu or something for part of it, and then just like guys with like taped, yeah, like bald. It masks. has kind of a Tron kind of feel. Yeah, pre-Tron. Yeah, pre-Tron. Though, yeah, seventy-eight. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I don't want to like. I don't. I would hate to characterize Jay's uh, sort of version of whatever his spirituality is without knowing like how he would call it. But he uh, definitely. I, he definitely makes documentaries about that guy, David Icke, the guy who's sort of credited with all of the... Uh, he wrote the books that are all about the lizard people, the reptoids, okay, the reptoids from yeah. the reptoids from the Draco constellation that have infiltrated all of the highest echelons of human society. That's yeah, what Donald Trump. Weiner's into that stuff? Yeah, yeah. Weiner, I think he is, because uh, on his website, he was really into the 2012 stuff, too. Mm-hmm. Like he th- oh, the like, uh, yeah, stuff, um, yeah. But yeah, so he made, he, he made this, this fiction movie, which is sort of... It's, Super fascinating. Have you? Uh, I've met um, John uh-huh. Fell Ryan. I was going to say because he's a music guy. Yeah, he I was an acceptor. Know, yeah, I don't know him personally. I saw that uh, when I was looking at the credits. I'm like, why is that name familiar? And he was like a No Neck Blues band yeah. acceptor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, yeah, so he's like. A I film thought guy. I honestly like because he in in Room 237 he gets he's the guy who uh, does the backwards forwards at the same time. You know, oh. he's, he's the one who screens the movie oh, like superimposed right, on itself right. backwards That's and forwards, cool. which I think I, it's so. I don't know. I thought it's that I, it's a little sticky. Yeah. It's a little, and it's also just like, yeah, I don't know. Single but point perspective. But a lot I was of things a, line up. I, I was know. always a big fan of of uh, Dark Side of the Moon with the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, right. Like pairing like I, I like that kind of stuff. You know, because <laughs> like you can cool coincidences yeah, that kind of work out. Yeah. Well, pop brownie it up. Yeah. Have a couple <laughs> shots of absence. Watch that shit. Um, I was 
going to ask about Mr. Bad. The cat. The cat. Yeah, he passed. Yeah, but what? that was a huge part of the recording process, I heard. <laughs> uh, he was a big part of anything we did in that house. Yeah. We had a... Uh, Jonathan Snipes' cat. Yeah, Jonathan and I adopted a cat uh, when we lived together. Oh, you lived together in that? Yeah, uh-huh. when we lived together, who was... Uh, when we got him, he was like 23 pounds. Uh, and he was he was the kind of cat... More he like was like Mr. basically a, a feral cat who uh, would have... He's like the kind of cat that would have run away. Yeah. And never let anyone touch him except that he was too fat to get He's away. Too fat so to instead stalker. he just lay on his back and stuck his claws out and just like Hated tried it. to kill you every time. You must have did you met him, right? No, I didn't meet him. I, I actually when I saw that video that Paco I sent Paco that video of you guys working on the soundtrack and I saw Mary Claire in there. Yeah. And so I, I hit up Mary yeah, Claire. Yeah, she played flute. Yeah, I was like, do you remember anything weird about that session? She's just like, oh, I just remember being the cat was probably cat. like eating her feet. Uh-huh. Yeah. She was like, if, whenever we would record, like anyone would ever come over, he would just like attack their feet and he was big i yeah. mean you know when he crashed into you you felt it like he can trip you i've had feral cats like that i'm basically like an outdoor cat that just hated me it was like <laughs> but you fed it anyway. I, I i did and it shit on my bed and my favorite sweater oh. and it just eventually ran away when oh, i yeah. got small enough to escape out a hole um mr bad shot everywhere yeah <laughs> he had very bad stomach where were problems. you guys living and this is a you had an in-house studio is that what it was at the time well that when we when we adopted him we were living near ucla where okay. we were still going and then um you were both there we were both there yeah, yeah. and then we moved apart and he kept the cat and he and his now wife christina like lived with the cat for i think probably i don't know he he lived to be like we think maybe 16 17 18, you know. it's not normal yeah for but for a cat. giant yeah, yeah. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Okay, I'm finally perfect. You know, y'all already know what it is. And if you don't know, then the great Benny Fresh will enlighten you. Ladies and gentlemen, pimps and players. Half-ass rappers and true rhyme sayers. Come on. This is the call. Oh, yes, it is. So hold on to your teenage daughter. We did want to talk to you about your relationship with Room 237, but mm-hmm. we also, as we do with all our guests, we ask you to bring in a documentary you want to talk about, and you said, <laughs> let's talk about The Carter, yep. 2008, uh, behind-the-scenes life of Lil Wayne, mm-hmm. who I honestly did not pay very much attention to in 2008, but now, uh, having seen that, I'm like, what? <laughs> what yeah. is going on with this guy? Uh, so much stuff 
you learn about him. But also, he refuses to be interviewed. So every interview you see in there is another journalist asking him questions, mm-hmm, and they just happen mm-hmm. to catch it with a better camera. And some of the his response to... Well, let's just start with, why did you choose the Carter? Uh, well, okay, so I chose the Carter partly because I was just sort of trying to figure out which version of me you guys were wanting to talk to. Like, I was <laughs> trying to find something thematically related. Like, what what do I know about, like... Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, being a hip hop producer yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and also being a lifelong massive Lil Wayne fan. Um, this and this I think this movie reads to me very differently from than it does to you guys, I think, just because like he's he's two months younger than me. I've been a fan of his since we were both 13. Mm. Actually, today is Lil Wayne's birthday. What? Birthday I, mean, I mean, 33 we know this day. We know that's okay, how we so planned this. this is your Jesus year also then. Yeah, I okay. turned 33. Two oh, months okay. ago. Nice. C- so congratulations. <laughs> So you did you start rapping when you were nine like he did? No. I've never rapped. Thank yeah. you very much. I will not. Yeah. Yeah. My sister has a cassette tape of me at three years old. She taught me the words to uh, "You Be Illin" by oh. uh, Run DMC. Nice. She has a cassette tape of me rapping that. That's the only rapping I've ever done. And have you uh, put any music behind it? That'd be kind of cool. <laughs> David actually threatened to like. Um, Get it from my sister and put it as a hidden track on a clipping album. But <laughs> nice, that would be not, sweet. That's not going to happen. So I'm not paying those. What was it about this to. this doc that compelled you? What is it? Uh, I'm not. Well, here's the thing. I'm not actually sure if I like the doc. Gotcha. I'm just, you know, I didn't pick a documentary that I think is like great documentary filmmaking. I picked a documentary about a subject who I think is fascinating. Mm-hmm. You know. Which is sort of different, honestly. I think the the film is weirdly manipulative and heavy handed, like that. Oh, the the music in it. There are so many like, oh, let's just put it in slow motion, right? And have like sort of low pass roaring crowd, and then like real like ominous drones, mm-hmm. and it's oh, it's, it's so manipulative about like oh, the loneliness of celebrity or some yeah. shit like that. It's like, ugh. Well, yeah, I didn't think it was well done in production value wise at all and i didn't well, think it was necessarily not. like i i did think it was the a sound little mixing is atrocious yeah <laughs> but i some journalists said they thought it was one guy in the guardian i think said it was yeah. the best music documentary he's no hip-hop seen. best hip-hop documentary. yeah that's, that's also like, what it is because when, when i was when i said well what am i gonna if i'm gonna find something about rap music mm-hmm. um you know i look through like what are the rap documentaries like this is definitely the best one right <laughs> really yeah. and they're not they're not there's not a lot too strong right yeah. now i don't know yeah i thought it was better than i expected i, I was kind of reluctant i was like i gotta make some time to watch this because i don't know <laughs> yeah. i don't know little yeah. wayne um his stuff uh but i i liked it actually i thought it was pretty compelling i it's enjoyed compelling. watching i definitely found it compelling but I, I see what you're saying like it's not like great filmmaking no, no, yeah. no, no, no. I, I, I think they were trying i think the idea is like it's a don't look back mm-hmm. of rap but you're not this dude is not da pennybaker like this does mm, not no uh, and and little wayne's not uh no, he's much more interesting than Dylan. Yes. Well, <laughs> way better than Dylan. He drinks yeah. more cough syrup than Dylan, probably. <laughs> that's the, I mean, and that's why Lil Wayne, you know, so this was originally an official, like, documentary that, that, that Cash Money was going to push. And then uh, they had to pull out their support um, and it became sort of unauthorized. Right. Because it shows so much of Lil Wayne's drug use. Right. And it right. focuses so strongly on his, it really like, does. severe 
opiate addiction. Yeah, he loves that scissor up. Yeah, which is super weird, um, just because, like, I guess, I, you know, that last shot where you see him, like, talking to the Jonas Brothers and oh, like, yeah. Britney Spears, like, that's why this movie couldn't come out, because he got so famous right, right before the movie came out that... You know, in a way that he was like a pop star for children oh. that he'd never been before. I mean, he was like, I mean, when he even when he was a child, he was just like rapping about murdering people. Right, like right. he was not a child. He was not a child star for children. He right. happened to be a little precocious kid, but he was who shot himself in the leg. Yeah, chest. Oh, chest. Yeah, yeah, shot himself in the chest. Oh, Jesus. At eleven. Like yeah. Or something. Or yeah. Thirteen. Yeah. yeah. And wow. had a daughter at fifteen, Reg and right. we meet in the film. Oh, I love her. So cute. She is. She's, she's. She's delightful. She's really charming. She is delightful, and it's also a little sad when she's like, "I just want my dad." Oh, that is like the, That is pretty heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. her big, but eyes. also manipulative in the way yes. you're saying maybe. Yeah, a little well, bit. They had a clever. I'm sure she editor. said a bunch of things that weren't that. You know? <laughs> yes, they had a pretty clever editor in this documentary, which you can kind of feel like they had a bunch of disparate scenes and then had a stitch together some sort of narrative, especially with his right-hand man. Oh, got- Cortez. Cortez. Yeah, Tez, Cortez yeah. Bryant. Yeah, I was, that relationship seemed very strange to me because there was a point where I'm not sure who the older woman is who's like... I don't know who that is Who's either. like haranguing Cortez. Like, you need to get him to the two <laughs> yeah. interviews he has yeah. today, basically telling him how to do his job, and he's just taking him. Like, this guy does not feel like a tour manager at all. Well, he was... He was... Wayne, like, one of Wayne's best friends from high school. They were in the high school band together. Mm-hmm. Um, like, he was the leader of, like, the drum section of the of the school jazz band or something, was okay. Cortez was. Um, but now he's like the manager. He manages, I think he still manages Drake. That guy is doing really well. Jeez. Yeah, I saw Drake as also in the end of that yeah, movie. Aubrey, Aubrey pops up for a second. I didn't think at 2008 he was that big at that point, was he? He was not, no. no so that actually was kind of a weird, it was weird seeing him in that moment. Mm-hmm. Like, and now, and arguably... They would have focused much more on him if he yeah. had been famous by then. And like, I don't, I don't know what styles per se that Drake is like referencing or biting most of the time, but it does. Or seem getting like, other people to write for or him. Or getting other people to write for him, but like it definitely seems like Wayne. Okay, so if you're not familiar with Lil Wayne, if you heard anyone kind of like lazily sing songing over like uh, 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 auto tuning, like I feel like it's 2007, 2009 period was yep. a huge time yeah. for Lil Wayne. And kind of the. Career pinnacle, you well, say? and that's what de- that's what depresses me about this film. That's what scares me about watching this movie. Is like that was absolutely money wise, popularity wise, career pinnacle for Lil Wayne. But as far as I'm concerned, as like a fan forever, like deepest nadir of his talent. Um, uh huh. And so you're watching him, and I'm like, man, he's falling apart. Like he just can't really rap anymore. But at the same time, this is the rapping that made him famous. So, right. like, when you see him just recording in a hotel room in Amsterdam, you're oh, watching brutal. him just like stop and have to retake a line. I don't even over mind that. It's that it's that he's it's that he's not. Um, I mean, he really was okay. So, I mean, I just liked him mm-hmm. until about you know 2003 when he decided on his own that he needed to like save cash money as, as like juvenile and BG and mm-hmm. were leaving and Turk was in jail and Manny Fresh was leaving the label. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, because he was adopted by the by Birdman, yeah. of that label. Yeah. Um, he was like, I'm going to become the best rapper in the world to save this label. And wow. to, you know, and because he was like, because Jay Z 
announced he was retiring and he thought Jay Z was the greatest rapper of all time. He's like, well, I'm going to be Carter. the Carter. Yeah, well, that's why the album was called The Carter. Yeah. Oh. Right? Because oh. his name's The Car- is Carter. He was referencing partly his admiration for Jay-Z, and the Carter is the, um, it becomes a sort of a narrative thing in that first album called The Carter, that the Carter was the name of the project building in New Jack City oh, that, wow. the drug, okay. that the drugs run oh, out of. Oh, right. Damn, so then, So he's got this sort of framing narrative on that first album where he is the Wesley Snipes character, like running a, a drug uh, business out of a project building. Mm-hmm. And Lil Wayne's name is... Dwayne. Dwayne Michael Carter Jr. Dwayne Michael He's Carter named Jr. after his biological father, who he wants nothing to do with, so he changed it to Wayne to oh, take I gotcha. the D off of. Yeah. yeah. Well, in 2003, how old was he? Uh, he was pretty 20, young. Uh, 20, 21. Wow. That's yeah. so young. Yeah. I mean, his first I mean, his first album, his first solo album, which is after several group albums, he right. was 15. He's a couple groups. When since he was like he started rapping when he's eight or nine, and then he yeah, did signs so he was, under. He was in the BGS with uh-huh. him and Lil Doogie, who then Lil Wayne's mom made him quit that. Mm. Uh, so then that just became BG. He became called BG, okay. and then they joined the Hot Boys when he was about thirteen, right? So Cash Money had, was like this label before that, and then yeah, B and Slim, Birdman and Slim had yeah. a label from like ninety. Three, I want to say, 93, 94, that had all these really fascinating artists that I oh. really like, um, like Mr. Ivan and Kilo G and uh, UNLV was their, their big group. And then they basically found this group of children and kicked everybody else off the label. <laughs> and like the way, yeah, the way they did it like is like, yeah, kind of scary. Like some of the members of UNLV aren't even alive anymore kind of mm. like situation. Like allegedly, I don't know. I've been, I've read too much gossip mm-hmm, starting mm-hmm. in like 98 about like how that business is run. Right. That's how you George know? and I got to be at the top of the podcast game. Yeah. We killed the competition <laughs> and got, got <laughs> all, all the other guests. documentary podcasts. <laughs> yeah. It was such a, we got rid of them. Yeah. We thinned the herd. All um, your guests, you hook them on, you hook them on heroin so they won't leave the label. Exactly. So, uh, and then I was talking to someone about this yesterday, and I don't know a lot of the history, but I was like, okay, so I thought No Limit was kind of like the main label in New Orleans and sort of represented, and he was like, yeah, No Limit was like number one, and Cash Money Mm -hmm. was like number two for a long time. For a little bit, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, for about, for probably 95 to 97, Mm -hmm. Cash Money would have been like number two, but then there was also Sea Loak, Mm -hmm. uh, which was in Baton Rouge, uh, which... Uh, I mean, there were a lot of there were a lot of labels in New Orleans at the time, but um, or in Louisiana, I guess. Uh, but like Master, but P, Master P like was the biggest. But you realize they didn't actually have that many hits. They just cranked out a lot of records, like national mm-hmm. hits. They had a couple mystical songs. They had mm-hmm. that uh, make them say uh, yeah, <laughs> which was a big deal. So was I there... have the doll? I have the Master P doll that you squeeze his chest uh, and says uh, <laughs> na 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 na. And then I just know, I like, after that. Katrina, I, I remember, like, when Katrina happened, people were like, Master P's got a speedboat, and he's going around rescuing people. Right. See, Master like, P is, is a superhero. That is yeah. amazing. Yeah. Percy Miller is a superhero. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That guy is amazing. Um, but I, yeah. Being a fan of Little Wayne's for so long, was there something from this documentary that you didn't know that you learned, or something that you were like, wow, that's surprising, or something that made you like him even more? And you saw it in when it came out? I in saw 08? it when it came yeah. out. And, and then the I rewatched yeah. it. It did not make it to the theater because right. they killed it. Yeah, yeah. Um, honestly, like, what iTunes I knew, huge, yeah. uh, I mean, I, I didn't know the, the sort of level of his drug addiction. Uh, that was sort of interesting. Um, and scary. I don't know if the film just, like, 
overly emphasizes that or if that's really that big of a part of his life at that time but but really like he's just not rapping the way he used to rap in those scenes and mm-hmm. it just broke my heart and at the same time he's become this sort of bubblegum pop star yeah uh, how would you characterize his early like when you really you said you gave up on him around 2003 around or, this no. time i just stopped buying the record like yeah. so it, yeah so between between i mean i saw him in concert right af, right right before the carter 2 came out at mm-hmm. the vault in long beach which probably fits under a thousand people i would say and it was about a third full wow uh, and it was amazing. It was like the best show I've ever been to. He is to. so he charismatic when he's on stage. Killed. Yeah. Like that footage of him like on stage is pretty amazing. You keep expecting him to come out and not be able to speak, but he yeah. comes out and he just blasts it. It's yeah, amazing. Yeah. I mean, this is also this covers like that weird time where he decided he was gonna learn how to play guitar in front oh, of people. That oh, is man. insane. Like basically that he was insane. his his guitar playing was like he would walk out on stage and practice guitar for five minutes. Like uh. we, it, he made everyone at his concerts witness his rehearsals, oh. like his practicing guitar. It is a little it's bit like so brutal. I said it's a little bit like the Shags when I saw him. Like he's on SNL. It's like oh, you just gave uh, the Shags like let, let them rap and then hand them a guitar. It's uh, it's bad. It's I mean we've all been around roommates and friends who are practicing an yeah. instrument. And it's always pretty hideous. But like after he's just had the Carter Three sell right. a million copies in the first week after it had been leaked. That's, immediately, That's insane. Immediately the, the next rebirth. thing he's going to yeah. do, the thing he says, yeah, how do I how do I, you know, strike when this iron's hot? Yeah. I'm going to learn how to play guitar. Rock album. But you have to give the guy some credit. That takes so much balls to like, I mean, he's not lacking for balls no, he's at not any point in balls. this thing. That is clearly. true. He no, is not, not lacking for confidence and stuff. But I do I his work ethic is what got what is what I was surprised yeah. by. As I was, comedians, I think there's something that uh, that sounds so much like just the thing of just like you're constantly Going. working it. Always. Like a com- the, com- the comedy life is very similar. It is. Way. But he was like recording in. <laughs> yeah, you in live his- just like Lil Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> his- I don't, but there are guys that do. <laughs> I was There's shot. Sylvan House. Uh, so. But there, I mean, like, he's recording in his hotel room. He's recording in his bus. Yeah. He's recording when people leave. He's still at the studio. He gets their first. You know, bef- you well, know? part of what I think part of what makes me sad about the film is that he's not writing raps anymore. Like, and he 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 claims to have not written anything down for the yeah. previous like couple albums. That's what he says. But basically, like, he's not even composing in his head uh, the way he used to. So he used to not write stuff down. Also, but he would uh, a verse would have a very clear through line. It would yeah. have really, really complicated internal rhymes, mm-hmm. like crazy just meter things he was doing. Mm-hmm. Really technical. He was such a technical rapper for two albums. And then what people liked about it was that he occasionally had he has a kind of a squeaky voice, and he had a funny. He would Auto-tune. have a funny like um, like observation or something that people were like, "Whoa, he's really on some other level." Mm-hmm. And then it just became like setup punchline, setup punchline. You right. know, wacky image. Like I'm so high, writing. I could eat a star. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's what people liked. And that became, like, b- between Carter 2 and Carter 3, I fucking, I hated the journey. He became every, like, white rap writer's favorite writer. Mm-hmm. I mean, favorite rapper um, at this time. Where journalists. Or, ra- or just rap writers. Rap journalists. Oh, rap no, journalists, yeah. Yeah, like, like pitchfork writers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And he just became... And during a time where I thought he wasn't doing his best work necessarily, mm. but it became this thing. There was so, there, I, it was so nasty the way it was, I would I would characterize like that as he became this sort of outsider hero avant garde figure for them, where they would be like, oh well, he 
you know, he doesn't know this, but what he's doing is really, really experimental and challenging and, and avant-garde. Mm. And it just felt so condescending. Right, and, right, yeah. and it was also about like this sort of curatorial bullshit where it's like... Um, we let my, certain black people get up into but it was also, our But it was like my, my claiming that he's avant-garde is what constitutes the work that way. I, you know, my huh. article is, is, right. is what plucks him out of the mire of all the, uh, uh, you know... That happens constantly, though. Still, oh, like, after that's, I like, mean, it, like it was—he was the first one I noticed that happening mm-hmm. too, and was sort of upset by it. And then it was Lil B. Well, now it's you know? now then it's, it was yeah. now, now it's Young Thug. But it was like Gucci mm-hmm. Mane for a while right. was like, oh, guys, Gucci Mane is you know I know these rappers are really terrible, but there's this one guy he's really really experimental. So it's that thing Fuck of off. of people <laughs> being like, look, if you don't like rap music, you'll like this one person who is like who is. Uh, sort of a savant, yeah. Kind there's of a, there's like a, there's sensational a, there's was a, the first one I remember. If you remember sensational, oh yeah. But he still had the sort of weird underground cred. He still it was had super cred, DIY. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he's rapping. He didn't even own a microphone. He's he was screaming into his headphones. headphones. That was a, the gimmick about sensational. Is like he just like raps into the headphone as a microphone. But yeah. it feels like it feels like they're treating you know. Well, how do you think like Wayne Lil Willis? Yeah, you know? exactly. That's exactly. It's like some you know about art gallery B. person who found, right. like found the one homeless guy whose paintings are really right. art, and they're only really art because I say they really are. Right. Yes. Right. And if you are explaining it, you're the authority on the subject. If you write the first article, you're you're like I have the authority right. on, on Wesley Willis. You right. know, really, he's just nuts, and it's fun. And he's and awesome. He's an artist and he's great. And he's, and he's yeah. not. And I don't like the sort of play on. Well, they're not aware of what they're doing, but what's really going on is right. this. Mm-hmm. Fuck you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So people were doing that about little Wayne. Lil Wayne. Yeah. But when, when what was happening was, I think he was like getting sort of more out there mm-hmm. because he was drinking really, really high all the time. His his routine, as we discover in the film, is get a liter of A and W root beer. <laughs> Pour. Maybe an entire or a half bottle of cough syrup into it. it seems like that. Swirl that up, drink it out of two styrofoam yeah. cups, then brag about how you have two cups. Yeah. Of, which is not like you have two full cups. No, you're just double it's a cupping. Double cupping. Yeah. You're just double, double cupping a, a liquid that is room temperature. So it is confusing on so many levels. Um, is he still doing that? Do you know? Or? Uh, I have this, no idea. This um, doc came out in 2008. I, I think, well, he. Uh, he yeah, so I mean, the footage it's so is weird. 07, probably. Yeah, it's because so, he even says he's like, "Oh, I don't do H. My body's too little right. for that." Yeah, it's like, what do you think is in yeah. that fucking cough syrup? It's codeine, it's an opiate, it's, it's right? Yeah, promethazine with codeine. I mean, it's he's not doing as much as like intravenously slamming mm-hmm. heroin, but right. But also, I mean, the other the crazy thing is right. So BG and Turk from the Hot Boys were mm-hmm. kept on the label because Birdman was their heroin supplier. He adopted the other member in order to keep him um, on the label. Oh, okay. Yeah. So when 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 Wayne, when Wayne's his stepfather, yeah. when his stepfather dies, yeah. Rabbit was murdered uh-huh. uh, when he was like nine, then Birdman adopts him from uh, his mother. I don't know it's if it's like legal. A Godfather type yeah. situation. Yeah. I mean, basically, I mean, because he was always with Birdman, right? And he and like and yeah, Birdman has a bunch of minors. In his stable, basically, which who sounds are, who real. Are, who are super up when addicted I to that. heroin? That's but also, like the first, thing. the first ever release, uh, one of the first ever releases on Cash Money from like '93 was Birdman under his previous rap name, which was like B23. I think it's mm-hmm. called "I Need a Bag of Dope." That's all about how much he enjoys heroin. Mm. Wow. 
That's that's not. It's too bad because he's obviously full of talent, man. You know, and I mean, Birdman. Uh, no, I'm Little yeah, Wayne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Little Wayne. But when you grow Birdman's up, you grew up in, in the the projects of New Orleans. Mm-hmm. What's the neighborhood? Because he ho- Holly Grove. Ho- Holly Grove. Yeah. Because they do. He sings corner of Apple and Eagle. Apparently, Apple as and he Eagle. Says in his raps. Because he does a little Google Earth. They that. show it on in the doc, and they show the lyrics. And I thought it was really really nice. Like I I liked what he was saying about where he grew up, and he's like, "This mm-hmm. is where I grew up. This is my home." But like he has these like these like. Set, run on sentences that make a little to no sense. Uh, is that True. his thing? It didn't used to be. It didn't used to be. <laughs> so when you talk about his technical prowess before this as a rapper, that's what you're talking about. Is like I'm talking about. Yeah, he used Carter to be two is Carter like one, Carter two. I mean, I I remember when Carter one came out. I I probably listened. I li- I was I like bought it on my way. I I live in Los Angeles, but I grew up uh, in Berkeley. And I was driving from Berkeley to Los Angeles, and I picked it up the day it came out, and I was on that drive, and I put it in my player, and I listened to it just over and over the whole five-hour drive, and then got to L.A., and I called David, uh, the, the rapper in Clipping, because he, he lived in uh, Rhode Island at the time, and I called him and was like, have you listened to this? It's like this person is just breathing raps. It's like he's never spoken words that aren't in rhyme like i can't you can't even imagine him saying a sentence that doesn't say it sounded so natural and it was so technically i mean like untouchable except for i mean there's a handful of great rappers but he was at that time like as good or better than everybody interesting and you do you attribute maybe drug abuse to his like non- sequiturs and his yeah the non sequitur thing like that didn't used to be the case that it, it they used you know he could write a song about a thing yeah and then it just became sort of stock mad tropes yeah. it became mad libsy and it was always the same shit it was like oh your lamborghini and your syrup and mm-hmm. your interest in uh going down on women yeah he does have an interest in that the one scene he's very enthusiastic. Yes, about he is. There's one scene that uh, I was talking to someone about this movie the other day. They're just like, "Oh, there was that scene where he just casually mentions losing his virginity by being molested at like." Oh, 11. I know. Well, at the same time that he's like bullying, fifteen year old bullying yeah. is that little Chucky or a little twist? It's one of the two. I don't know. One of the someone two on ca- the label. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Young Money or Cash Money? Both. Okay. I mean, you're both. you're always on both. I think. Is Young, Young Money, Money is a subsidiary? Young Money is a subsidiary. Okay, so it's sort of like yeah, like mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I got. But basically nothing. I mean, they've signed like 40 people mm-hmm. who who never got albums out. Oh, yeah. wow. Basically, if you're not Drake or Nicki Minaj, your album's not coming out. And of... even Wayne's isn't coming out. Like this is if you follow any of the news right now, he's trying Carter to get four. off the label Carter 5. Carter 5. He's trying to put out and they've Birdman has shelved it. And so he's trying to get off the label and Birdman like at this point Birdman allegedly uh, might have been involved in uh, shooting up Wayne's van a couple months ago. I oh, did Jesus. not hear anything about oh, that. Oh, yeah. And Birdman is his father, father who's Surrogate also father, yeah. the president of... Who's, and the dope he and dealer. It, yeah. And the dope dealer. Yeah. Well, this is reminiscent And his of, brother, Slim. B and Slim are the uh, founders of Cash Money. I mean, I they're see. the most... They're, they're like... The most successful, and you see Birdman in the documentary. Of, yeah, yeah, like, he's the guy Dr. with Dre the sunglasses, right. and obviously like, Dr. who Dre buys him but... like uh, a huge uh, SUV. No, that Rolls Royce. No, no Rolls Royce. Like it's a Rolls Royce, but it's like I'm like I was watching that. I'm like, 
I know kind of how record labels work, and that is a terrible idea. Okay? <laughs> like you, you, you realized you paid for that Rolls Royce. I don't Royce. think terrible your ideas. The label are... didn't just give you the Rolls Royce. Right. You paid for your Rolls yeah, Royce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, th- I don't think bad ideas come into play very often. <laughs> these guys. Well, and the, you wonder whose name that car is even in. Exactly. I think there's something about Wayne the title. Wayne stopped selling, and then the name's still in in babies. He, he, he didn't even seem to really want it. He just kind of jumped on it and was like, is this for me? Is this for me? And then you see him in the bus watching ESPN. I feel like Cortez yeah. is even like dealing with the title of the car Probably. at some point like <laughs> later in the documentary. Oh, I would hate to have that job. <laughs> I, I feel like I don't, it seemed like in another thing that happens in the film is like midway through, it's like he just isolates himself from his entourage. He decides like, like Cortez, his you know, manager slash tour manager slash best friend, is like not allowed on the bus anymore because the bus is like I'm watching football, I'm just drinking syrup and playing video games. And I smoking think it's weed, pretty much what's happening. Yeah. And smoking yeah. weed. And Cortez was like, I don't like all this drug abuse. You're drinking too much syrup, right? And yeah, apparently. told him about that. And yeah, they had some falling out about it. They I had guess. a falling out about it, which is. It seems like such a classic music. Maybe that's why they consider this one of the best hip hop documentaries because it's so classic. Well, it follows yeah. these arcs and these tropes yeah. that we know from rock which documentaries. Is part of, yeah, which which is part of why I think it might be really manipulative. It might be just structured in this way that we've seen so often, and yet it feels like what's you. It feels like this movie was predicting that Wayne was going to die within the it next couple of years. Yeah, the way it ends. And he yeah. totally didn't. So yeah. it just doesn't really work for me. <laughs> it, yeah, but I also no, feel didn't. like, yeah, like it's, he has so much of his own voice in it that like, regardless of how it's cut, it is like uncut Wayne. It's in a certain mm-hmm, dire- mm-hmm. direction. It's like, it's representative of Wayne at that time. Like it's. Yeah. I do think it's interesting, though. They they also keep that bit in where he talks about. Um, I mean, you know, Nirvana is his favorite band. Yeah, and he says that thing about he's like, I Kurt don't write Cobain. nothing down because I don't want to go out like Kurt and have people publishing my journals and shit. Yeah, yeah. And why also that's his excuse for why he doesn't write. Things yeah, he doesn't write stuff down. But in terms of, but it's uh, also this sort of they tried to hammer that yeah. association in his mind where he admires someone who had maybe. What could have I mean, an opiate problem? What could have looked like a similar trajectory mm-hmm. if Wayne weren't still with us and fine? Well, uh, well, he had a bunch of health problems actually, so I'm not sure how fine he is. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, there's that connection. It's interesting because there is this question when he gets interviewed by journalists, which like you can tell it's like this European journalist who's like, "So how do you represent? Are you are you a rock star? Do you represent right. New Orleans?" And oh, he's I just like, that. "Get out of here! Yeah, I'm we're done. done." I actually really love that as well because I it too. is like, and I, I respect that thing of like, even though he's like this huge star at this point, he's like, I still kind of want to control my narrative, mm-hmm. and it's also why. The Carter does not come out officially. Is even though he, it's supposedly he liked the final cut, he's like, I was supposed to get final cut. I didn't get final cut. Yeah. And also the way that it does end is like indicating is like, so how does how does this this man is going to clearly be dead in a few years? And he's like, N- I don't think about that. I yeah, and I like exactly. that he just gets to be like, why would would you ask that question to any other right. kind of like artist? Yeah. Like so, uh, Matthew Barney, how do you think you're gonna die? You know, like that's not <laughs> right. what's gonna happen, right? So I think that he's picking up on this condescension that's happening to him, and exactly what you're talking about, like the press and the, sort of the fame and like and how people are trying to put this narrative on him. Yeah, I think that's what he's reacting to partly, but then also he does seem like a fucking nihilist a lot of the time, who just does not. 
care about what's going to happen. At least that's it's like a, it's a 50-50 thing. It's like he's a really driven artist, he's a very talented, uh, maybe not at the height of his powers, but clearly prolific. And then you, know, you kind of wonder how far ahead he's ever looking. I mean, you know, he's he, he seems old. very moment to moment. Yeah. Um I think that's how probably he was raised and probably what he had a his upbringing was all about, you know, growing up where he grew up and then just trying but, to make but it. But being a rapper from nine years old, I mean, he did not have the life of his, the people in his neighborhood. Like he was famous at 13, oh. you know? Right. So it's another weird it's like thing where star, it's like, yeah. cause he talks about selling drugs and it was like, when did you do that? Yeah. Sir? What, what time? Uh, you when never you actually sh- sold. Dr- I mean, he's, he, uh, Cortez says he sold weed to the to white, white kids. Boy. Yeah. Right. I remember that. Uh, but you know, yeah, Wayne. Well, then was now not I'm a drug of... dealer. Then, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't have me killed, Paco. I won't. Um, I won't. <laughs> but yeah, so he, uh, yeah, there's one line that I remember kind of cringing at when they've just shown his lovely daughter Regina, and then when they ask him like, "What kind of president would you be?" He's like, "I would get rid of child support." I'm like, what? Yeah, that's that such is a, bonkers. What the hell is he talking about? That is about? bonkers. Yeah, it's maybe like, coming from someone else. He's just like hearing someone else's. Clearly, he's, he's just got he's money just mad and he's got an ex-wife. Yeah, and he's got a, a, you know his kid's mom and stuff. But it's like, it's like, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, that's 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 part of his platform that I don't agree with. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, things would be much better if we just got rid of child support. I'm like, I don't think that's true, Wayne. <laughs> if men don't have to have any responsibility. <laughs> For anything they do. Yeah. And um, I did see this one interview on YouTube about... Because I was trying to figure out what he went to jail for. It just seems like it's a weapons Guns charge. Possession. Yeah. Yeah. In, uh, but it, it, he doesn't get sentenced till 2010 or 11. And Cortez it, tried to claim it was his. I think Cortez said it was his man. gun. Cortez... But, we know he's not on the van. I, he's not Cortez on the Cortez is yeah. just too loyal in this almost puppy dog way yeah. i feel like he, like the only time you see him be protective or have like an instinct is like he's like who's this guy this yeah. guy is in part of the get crew back here. he tries to get this guy oh, yeah, out yeah. of the backstage but the rest of the time he's just like he's like we sold a million yeah. we sold a million I'm like what is this guy's not he's not doesn't have the fucking instinct to do this job correctly but you always need he's one like of those guys friend who's yeah. just like the dopey friend. Boy, it's worked out for him since then. Though. I guess so. Yeah. Now, I'm like, I'm, you know, viewing him as a little Jesse Pinkman-ish yeah. or something in my view right. of how he's portrayed in this like one moment. He must have a little bit of that instinct at this point. But he is massively successful, and he manages yeah. people who is aren't he still managing Wayne. Uh, I don't know if he still manages Wayne. I'm gonna he say manage- no. He still manages Drake. That's big. That's huge. But then Drake is gonna be more manageable. Just Drake being Drake is more manageable. I bet Drake, I bet Drake He's is very... the only rapper who like shows up on time to things. Right. <laughs> and probably brings something. Dude is people. a child star. He's an actor. He's like actually... Yeah, yeah he's learned the routine. But uh, this reminds me almost of the Bones Brigade movie we saw. Right. What's like, that? So the, the Bones Brigade movie, the skate, the skate crew, right? So Stacey Peralta brings in this whole crew of, okay. of kids. And it sounds a little bit... And not as, he's not selling them dope. But he's bringing in <laughs> this new wave. He's like, I'm done with this other generation of skaters. Let's bring in this new wave of skater kids that are doing something bizarre that I don't really quite understand. But I know it's marketable, and I'm going to be the one to market it. And it'll be Pal Peralta is going to be having the stable of young kids. It sounds a little bit like the way it worked with uh, cat with uh, Cash Money, but um, also it's like on the Bones Brigade thing when like Tony Hawk is the <laughs> one, the guy who's like. 
I'm good at I'm I'm just good because I work at this thing and also my parents own skate parks. Yeah. Like Drake is a little bit like that guy. And then like <laughs> and there's all these other uh skaters that are like the fuck up kids and I feel like you know, maybe like Wayne is like uh Rodney or one of these other guys that's just like super hmm. talented but then just has like no life skills. Right. Or right. Well when you get famous at nine Yeah, you don't then really you're not gonna a, have a lot of yeah, yeah. Well, but I mean, what, how old, Drake was, I guess, famous at like 15 or 16. That's true, but, too. Yeah. But famous in Canada, where everyone's sort of responsible oh, yeah. and polite anyway. It's yeah, exactly. Different. The, the Canadian, the polite, <laughs> not exactly not the, same the same life. He was yeah. on a yeah. TV show. For me, for Lil Wayne, it began in New Orleans, Louisiana, Carrollton, 17th Ward, Holly Grove. What you may call your area, what you may call your village, what you may call your home, that's mine. That's my hood. That's what we call it. That's my everything. I live for that. I die for that. I came from there, and I promise you do not want to go there. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. I've been doing this shit. I've been on the road since I was about 11 or 12 years of age, so I haven't went home since. So it's nothing to me. It's easy. So um, post this movie coming out and looking at uh, where Wayne's, where has Wayne's career gone? Like he released an album right out of jail, right? Like, like he keeps releasing. He keeps releasing albums. Yeah, yeah. And he while he was in jail, I think I am not yeah. a human. I think that, I think that came out while he was in jail. Um, Did we know anything about how his jail experience was? I tried no. to find some kind of interview. Where no. was he? New York? No idea. Oh. Maybe Louisiana. Oh, okay. I don't it's know like, where the charge was, though. It also seems like people will just leave him alone, probably, or just want to get in his good graces, I was going to guess. But we don't really know. I have know. no idea. We have no yeah. idea what it's like. I don't think he went to, like, scary jail. I think he went to, like, a good the jail, jail that... You know, I'd get thrown into yeah, or right, something right. like the, you know still. celebrity. But I'm not a celebrity. I just mean like yeah, yeah. non-violent, right. non-violent, yeah, um, cushy, yeah, playing badminton. And they? and he's still like where Burzum went, <laughs> where he could re- escape. Burzum escaped his jail. <laughs> we should totally do something on on those uh, those blackmail. There is a when the light when the, oh, until the light takes until us. the light yeah, takes us. Yeah, we it's not that. great, but. None of that stuff's great, but uh, yeah, um, they are fascinating. Yeah, totally. Um, so he, so he uh, yeah, when that record sells like a million in a week, that is definitely like the commercial pinnacle. But then he's he's like a figure in our culture. Yeah, still. and he still yeah. sells he's still a, huge. He still sells tons and tons of copies. Uh, but Drake is bigger. He's than right. He is. Drake is bigger than everyone. Right yeah, now. Drake's huge. Yeah, I mean, I've probably. heard of Drake. Probably. Well, Drake is bigger than clipping. I'm going to take a you moment can, uh, to say you can, Drake is bigger than that's clipping. A, that's a stretch. But <laughs> that's a no, stretch. Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, yeah, Drake's probably the biggest. I don't know. Kendrick, Nikki. All right. Are you currently working on any other compositions for movies? Any scores? Uh, no, not for film. Uh, we should talk about no. The Nightmare briefly. Oh, yeah. Because you, you and Jonathan also worked on Rodney Asher's follow-up to Room 237. Yeah, which is, which is The, the nightmare, nightmare. Which is terrifying. Oh, good. I think it's visually so creepy 
and Paco hasn't seen it, but I would say I, have not. I would say I would recommend it to anyone to check yeah, it out. Yeah, I think I think Rodney did a great job of actually making a nonfiction film into a legit horror film. For sure. Like, I mean most of the reviews have, have said this is without question the scariest documentary wow. ever made. It is like close it's funny those scenes from communion, because I'm like that's probably the closest thing in a oh, way yeah. to what it describes is like Whitley Stryber describing being abducted by aliens. So if you're not familiar with The Nightmare, it is ostensibly an interview with like eight people that have mm-hmm. sleep paralysis. Like really severe. Which is like visitations of like succubi and like uh, these black shadowy figures. Yeah, they all, they all see shadow people. It's sort of about the connections between all of these people who have never met and the same having the same sort of dreams. Wow. Um, when so they experience sleep paralysis. Sleep paralysis, which is not sleepwalking. It's the opposite. No. no. In a it's, sense. Yeah, it's basically, yeah, your your body goes to sleep and paralyzes you, but your brain's still awake. And, and is doing terrible and is things. Just, yeah. It's and, f- and are you, you're still sleeping or are you awake when you have this paralysis? It's. I don't really know the it's, science. It's arbitrary. It seems like yeah. How did the brain function? I did. There's I did. some EEG thing that comes up in mm. one of the talks because one of the guy goes to get a CAT scan and it's like yeah your EEG readings are abnormal but then they yeah. never explain what that means. I dated oh, okay. a woman with um, narcolepsy with severe cataplexy uh, for like five years and that uh, she experiences a lot of that stuff. Um, I don't know cataplexy. Cataplexy is, is like you fall asleep. Spontaneously, right? Uh, narcolepsy is like a, a sort of a misalignment of when your brain and your body go to sleep. Mm-hmm. And then cataplexy is that thing where you just snap and lose all muscle control and fall over. Oh, I've seen wow. someone do that. It's insane. She yeah. has it's both? Like a, well, yeah. You, you, have, you have to have narcolepsy to have cataplexy, but cataplexy is a really severe expression of your narcolepsy. Okay. Holy it. shit. Yeah. It looks like... Were you always like, I'll drive? Uh, she could drive. She could okay. legally drive. It was usually... Weirdly, it was like, that happens when... It was a very specific emotional response would mean she would lose. And she would still be awake. She, she could hear everything and repeat to you. But her body, but you, her body would just collapse and you'd have to limp. like try and like get her into a like a comfortable position. And then she'd wow. sit back up after like 15 minutes. It's like minutes. some being roofied or something. Yeah, it was, it's, it's super scary. But it was like oh. a really specific emotional reaction yeah. that it took, which was usually like a form of like she would be surprised by something that was funny. Which is really amazing wow. to me. Like something would be something really, really funny, funny to her, and then she would collapse, and she would collapse. That but it was nuts. mostly funny, and it wasn't funny like in a group. It would be funny if she saw something funny that only she saw. It was that then specific. she would lose it. Yeah, that was it. That was like it was literally that. lose it. Yeah, yeah, it wow. was amazing. Uh, anyway, but she would have these sort of sleep paralysis things too. So. Going into this movie, I had I was like, man, I already spent five years thinking wow. about this shit. Yeah. So Rodney give you uh, a rough cut, or do you guys did the sound design for all? Jonathan, the stuff? well, okay, so Jonathan did all of the sound, everything. Okay. Like so, dialogue edit, he was in charge of uh, sound effects, backgrounds, he was in charge of it's really everything. In there, yeah. uh, Jonathan mixed the movie. Yeah. Um, I mean, he had a little team, and I was just one of the people on his team. I did. We did about 50% of the score us together, mm-hmm. and then the other 50% he wrote totally on his own. Mm-hmm. So I think I've got a different credit in that movie. I don't remember how it works, but I think it's a Sound and Music by Jonathan Snipes, and then additional after the next credit is like additional music by wow. me. And you can see that on iTunes. 
It's, uh, it's it's not on Netflix right as of this as of today as of Lil Wayne's birthday it's not on <laughs> right. Netflix but it uh, I watched on Amazon streaming and so it's available. A it had some. It had Vimeo, like a. It a had a very places. brief theatrical thing. I don't mm. know what. Doesn't it, seem to have a DVD release now, but maybe we'll mm. try, will. try to it drop will. this when there's a DVD gotcha. release to go with it. I think if you like Room Two Thirty Seven, yeah. you will definitely like this movie. I'll have because to check it out. It goes into some of the similar creepy zones. So let's uh, let's end this with our typical question we ask our guests which is a documentary you would recommend to our listeners to watch that you love or a documentary that you saw early on that got you into your love of documentaries oh man um okay hold on let me think uh like i i definitely i worked at a video store from like 13 to 18 did you work at video room no i worked at five star video is that on university no it's on there is one on university i worked at the one on solano on solano okay uh and I, I so I watched everything in that period. I mean, I just watched every movie that was available. I, I'm trying to think. I, I used to not be, I was sort of like not interested in documentaries, I think. And then probably the usual stuff. I mean, Errol Morris, um, Maisel's uh, um, Hoop Dreams, I remember coming out while I worked at the video store and being like, this is freaking amazing. It's um, the best. So it's like, uh, you know, that Thin Blue Line, um, definitely, uh, um, I would say the I, I we would they weren't available at the time but we would trade um people had like bootleg copies of a bunch of uh Werner Herzog documentaries uh that were he made for television mostly mm-hmm. uh so there's the one about the auctioneers it's called how much wood would a woodchuck chuck and there's the one there's the one about the televangelist called uh God's Angry Man that is stunning that one's amazing mm-hmm. it's one about ski jumpers wow um so those were really big to me um i don't know Oh, that's great. Ackerman, uh, like oh, a yeah. bunch of people. Um, oh, Chris Marker, probably. Uh, um, the Chris Marker documentaries were uh, Saint Soleil. And right, yeah. um, then there were the, the sort of the political ones, The Last Bolshevik and uh, Grin Without a Cat, I think is what it's called. Yep. Grin with, yeah. Um, I don't know if I've seen any of the. I mean, you've seen La Jete, and I've seen. Yeah. There's like that video, it's just piano and cats. <laughs> that, that video that he's that Chris Marker yeah. made, there's that too. But um, yeah, just like a, an early cat video, <laughs> <laughs> cat internet. That's the memes. start of it uh, all. Is there anything you want to plug in terms of uh, music stuff or nah. hiring you for a job? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if anyone um, is on the hiring committee for a you know research one university uh, i would take a tenure track position uh, <laughs> i think this is exactly the demographic i think so too <laughs> well thank you sir thanks, thanks bill, bill. thanks for listening you can find episodes of subdoc on itunes soundcloud stitcher and TuneIn. please review subscribe and rate and you can follow us on twitter at subdoc podcast and online at subdocpodcast.com this show is produced by Will Scoville, and our theme music is by David Siegel. If you want to suggest a documentary or a future guest, please email us at subdocpodcast at gmail.com.